freaking auto! This, this is Brock and Salk. I don't read the internet, guys. Presented by Carter, Volkswagen, and Ballard. Take the bull by the hands. On Seattle Sports. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. And Brooke Warr, you are. And Brooke, you are. Now here are your hosts, Brock Heward and Mike Salk. All right, yeah, rolling along here, Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports on 710seattlesports.com. No Justin this week. More is here, of course. Brady Bones is in for Justin, hanging out as well, uh, and it's good to have you guys here. Uh, we've got uh, some interesting guests in the next few hours. we got uh, Scott Hunter, Mariners uh, Director of Amateur Scouting, going to join us at 7.30. they got uh, a bunch of their picks signed. I want to hear a little bit about that process and kind of who they have coming up through the system and what that looks like. And then uh, Quandre Diggs. I've never talked to Quandre Diggs. Oh, really? No, I've That's never. A great interview. I know. I've never talked to him. I, at least that I can remember. I've I've like tweeted back and forth with him, and obviously he said he, how much he liked the show, which was great when he was talking trash to Brock. And uh, I've tweeted <laughs> with him about like being a girl dad and stuff because he's super into. He's got like a two year old daughter, two and a half year old daughter, something like that, and he's super into it, which is great. He seems like. I mean, he seems like an all. He had another baby, too. Oh, he did? Yeah. During OTAs. It's a lot of kids, man. Um, (laughs) No, two's good. It's good having two. But um, he just seems, I don't know the man, but he seems like a really good dude. He seems like the kind of guy you want to be around. So looking forward to talking to him at 830. All the other NFL players constantly tweeting at him and joking with him. You can see that. He's like in the in crowd. He's he's one of the popular guys. Yeah, and he's and he's well respected for his play on the field too. Well, I don't think you can be in the popular crowd unless you are in that <laughs> crowd, right? Like you've got to be good and you've got to be a good dude and sort of be friendly. And he seems to be all of those things. So, uh, looking forward to that. We'll talk to him at eight thirty, which is when the Seahawks are going to uh, release the uh, the new throwbacks, and we may even have a little sneak peek of it here for you guys. If you uh, make sure you're tuned into the video stream, you'll have to watch me in the meantime. But uh, you can do that at SeattleSports.com. So, look, we know baseball is a sport. That is played over 162 games. It makes it different from the other sports. I don't know how many times we can say this, but it is important to remember that baseball, unlike most other games, is played out over an incredibly long period of time. It is one of the things that makes it different. And it makes talking about it different. It makes makes playing it different. It makes watching it different. It makes managing it incredibly different. And I found myself thinking about that quite a bit this week. And I got a couple of examples, but last night really jumped out to me. The Mariners played a terrible baseball game last night. Let me start by making that abundantly clear. I am not going to make any excuses for how poorly they played last night or where they're at in general this season, 47 and 47. By the way, the most popular random number occurring in the universe, 47. But they are 47 and 47, incredibly disappointed. I will not make an excuse. But I found myself thinking last night as they had not one, but two players thrown out at home plate in the same inning. Which is shocking. Uh, Yeah. That should never happen. And in fact, has not happened to anybody else at any point this year. Really frustrating. Inexcusable. Right? Especially the first one. I mean, I'm watching that game. So if if you're watching last night, they're they're getting to, what's his name, Aubert? They're getting to him early. Geno's hit a home run. You've scored two runs already. You got some runners on. Ty France comes up with his big double. 
and he scores Kelnick, who had gotten on, and, and there comes Teo, one out, runs through a stop sign, gets pegged at home? Dude, don't make the second out of home plate, right? I mean, that's a that's a hard and fast baseball rule. And don't run through the stop sign to do it. If you're going to run through the stop sign, you better be safe. Well, he wasn't. And, of course, the next guy gets a hit, so he would have scored. Well, guess what happens when the next guy gets a hit? Ty France is on second base, also gets thrown out at home, and it looks worse than it is. Now, he did get thrown out by, like, 10 steps. That's not good. That one didn't bother me as much. Trying to be aggressive, two outs, running on contact, right? You're trying to score. That's a better chance than hoping the next guy, especially now at the bottom of the order, is going to get a hit. I don't necessarily have as big a problem with it just from a baseball sense, but it looks horrible, and you shouldn't get thrown out by that. If you're out by that much, you made a mistake. So, all right, that's really, really, really frustrating. But there are two mitigating factors. Not excuses. Let me be very clear. Explanations or, or, or things that they're responsible for it, but you can understand why they did it. This team can't score. That's number one. They're bad at scoring. As I think we all know, I'm not breaking news here, and I'm not trying to pretend like I'm some genius. They're bad at scoring runs. They've been bad at it from the moment this season began. They have absolutely stunk at scoring runs, which, by the way, is a pretty key component of being good at baseball. They've been bad at it. How many runners have they left this year at third? How many times have we complained, man on third, less than two outs, this team doesn't score? How many times have we said, bases loaded, no outs, so what? So you can kind of understand the need to keep running if you feel like it's that close. And it was close. It took a very good throw and a good tag, and that's what's got Tay Oscar out. No, it stunk. I was mad about it. It's not a quote-unquote good baseball play. But if you're Tay Oscar Hernandez and you've been playing and contributing to this god-awful offense all year long and you've got a chance to maybe score when your team is putting together a few hits – I think I can understand why he tried to make that an opportunity. He did it wrong. It's an error, a mental error, a physical error, whatever you want to call it. It's probably a little of both. But it's a little bit understandable because of this team's history. And put Ty France in the same category. What, he's supposed to expect the next guy to get a hit with him on third? Why would he? What's their team batting average, like 208? I wouldn't expect the next guy to get a hit. And by the way, you're in a situation where you need a hit, not a walk, not an on-base percentage thing. You need a hit. Well, I don't blame him for assuming that's not going to happen. And that's their own fault, by the way. That's, again, not an excuse. They made their bed by being bad at hitting. And because they were bad at hitting, they were forced to be more aggressive than they needed to be. And it burned them twice in a row. But that's their fault. So don't hear this as an excuse, not one. It's a criticism and an explanation, all kind of wrapped up in one. Here's the other reason I couldn't get as mad about it, although I was, or this is what I tried to tell myself. I do want them to be aggressive. I do. I want them to be aggressive. Well, Pollock had the opposite problem the other night. He wasn't, which was unfathomable, by the way. You want to, you want to, like, talk about getting mad on vacation, took me like 20 minutes to recover from that. I was so mad about that. Um, I want them to be aggressive, though. I really do. 
I want them to be the kind of team that puts pressure on you. And you saw it pay off an inning or so later with Caballero being super aggressive. I thought he was going to be toast at second base. I thought Mike Ford was like, I thought that's what was going to happen on both those plays, but it paid off. Their aggressiveness worked out. I want them to be aggressive. They're not good enough at hitting to just sit back and wait. I want them to take the game to the other team. It's hard to have that as a mentality and then get mad when the mentality doesn't work. But yet, you have to make the mentality work, right? You have to find a way to find that balance between trying too hard and letting the game just come to you and just not doing enough. I, they Once you get off kilter in this game, it tends to, to, to just continue to overcorrect and bother you forever and ever. And that's why I talk about it being played out over the course of 162, right? It's not just that last night was a problem. It was, but it's the what 90 something games that led up to last night that are also the problem. And the reason why they make the mistakes that they made last night, somebody else going to call in and be like, Salk, no, they're just a mediocre team. You might be right. I'm not disagreeing with that either. But how do you get to be a mediocre team? Both are problems, right? Like, right. It's not. Right. It's right. Both not things are an way. issue. How do you get there for a team that many people predicted would be a lot better than they are? Not just me. Plenty of people throughout the baseball community thought this is going to be a good team. Why haven't they been? Well, they didn't hit. And then you overcorrect. And then you try to make up for it. And then you do this. And then you do that. And the next thing you know, it's about to be the end of July. And you're stuck at 500. Still doing stupid things last like last night and waving the white flag in the third inning. Oh, man, what an incredibly frustrating game. And now, as we've said a couple times, I'll say it again and need to know next. You got a major problem on your hands where you have put way too much pressure on yourself for the rest of this homestand. I'll tell you what all that is all about next. Everything you need to know is coming up. It's Brock and Salk, Sales Sports on 710. Need to know. 15 minutes past every hour with Brock and Salk. Here's what you need to know. Up first. It just felt like a give up game last night for the Mariners. Things didn't go their way early and then it felt like they just gave up. Now, that does happen when your starting pitcher doesn't have it and Brian Wu clearly did not have it last night. But they might have been able to coax him through the night if the offense was clicking a little bit. But when you make two outs at home plate in one inning and then in the next inning, you follow it up with this. The 1-1. There goes Castro. The pitch of ball. Throw to second. And it gets past Crawford into center field. J.P. flips over. He's okay. And with that, Kepler scores from third base. And the Twins extend their lead. It's 5-3 Minnesota. And then you fail to make a difficult but catchable, makeable play in center field. Yeah, that's a four-run swing, and obviously this team is not going to overcome a four-run swing like that. They just don't even have a chance. So it's an ugly one. It's an ugly loss as they fall to Minnesota again. Scott Service, not exactly uh, wild about the way they've played. We did. We had really good at-bats. I mean, you, you look at it from, you know, JP to Gino hit a home run and Cal Lake lines one, you know, uh, up the middle there. I mean, a lot of things are going our way. We're on all of his pitches. Um we had him in a very vulnerable spot, and uh, you know, making outs on the bases is huge. It just gets him off the hook, and we allowed him to get off. We gave him an opportunity to get off the hook, and then he got some rhythm going and got his normal you know, change up and breaking ball going after that, and it was a struggle. 
for us. Yeah, no kidding. It was a big-time struggle and a loss that they really couldn't afford. They got two more against the Twins. Luis Castillo will go tonight against Kenta Maeda, who's not been very good this year, and they need Luis to be better. I mean, he did not have a great start in the first one coming out of the break, maybe because he pitched in the all-star. I didn't pitch even in the all-star game. So I, I don't have like a good reason, a good excuse, a good anything. They need Luis to be better and they need their bats to be better and they need Cal Raleigh to be better and they need to not make as many outs on the bases and they better start doing it quick because you were hoping for at minimum a seven and three homestand and they've already lost three of their five games. So uh, you do the math. Here's the second thing you need to know. It means they've got to win five straight, by the way. That's a little radio math for you. I got you guys covered. <laughs> One of the challenges with drafting high school players, they don't need to sign. They can always choose to go to college, and because of it, they can be a little bit more expensive. So kudos to the Mariners. They got their top three picks signed. Two were already in the building for batting practice yesterday. Saw some video of Ty Pete hitting home runs. He was the third pick they made, their second comp pick. And he is the guy with all kinds of upside, as Brandon Gustafson told us. That guy has some wicked tools. If he's able to make more consistent contact, you're talking about just a dynamic power speed threat that really, when you just look at the system that they currently have, they don't really have guys like this that are just the high, the, this high of upside outside of probably Felney and Celestine. Yeah, Johnny Formello is their second pick. He's got some of that as well. He signed yesterday. Also, uh, two of them were over slot. The other was just under slot. So, you know, this is a group of three that that we're going to be following together as they make their way up through the system. They're all high school kids. They're all probably going to start at the same level and kind of work their way up together. Um, yeah, what position they all play will be interesting, right? Emerson and uh, and um, what's the other? Oh, Ty Pete are both shortstops by trade. So what will that look like? Who plays short? Who plays second? Who plays third? How does all this play its way out? We'll talk to uh, Scott Hunter coming up here in a few minutes. Uh, He is their director of amateur scouting who made these selections. One other guy to watch, and I was just looking through who signed for what, is the outfielder Aiden Smith. Fourth round pick, but they signed him for more money than their second or third round picks. Baseball's weird like that, so uh, he's a guy to watch as well, just given the fact they gave him more than a million dollars right out of high school. Here's the third thing you need to know. Well, for years, we were told it would never happen. We were told it couldn't happen. It had something to do with the helmets or stickers. or It never really made a whole lot of sense, to be honest with you. And this morning, about an hour from now, the Seahawks throwbacks finally drop 832 this morning. Uh, we've you know, heard from people who have already seen them. Bobby Wagner's seen them. I have. They're fine. They're very fine. It could be great if they were black. But we won't go there. They're ve- That's the first time I think I've heard very fire. It's not just fire. It's very fire. Well, they're not black, but they are going to drop at 830 this morning. And uh, if you tune in right here at SeattleSports.com on the video stream, you'll get a, uh, a a good view of exactly what they look like at that point. Quandre Diggs has been tweeting about him a ton. He will join us at 830 as well. That's everything you need to know, and we do that quarter past to every hour Did here on the Brock and Salt Show. Um, sneak peek that Quandre posted of his cleats that he's going to wear. With the no, he posted it yesterday. They're pretty. They're pretty sweet. How do they look? What are they? Kind of Seahawks themed. Like, what should I know about them? Yeah, no they they have the the old. The oh, old it's a logo. throwback. Yeah. Oh, they're the, for the throwbacks. Has, so they can't. You know, they can't 
post the throwbacks yet because we're going to see those at eight thirty two. But he that was his uh, preview that he teased. You're not show. a you're not a TweetDeck user, right? You just use Twitter.com. Yeah. After all these years, I've been using TweetDeck since I started using Twitter in like two thousand nine or ten, whenever the heck it was. I got to say, I've managed to kind of roll with all the Twitter punches here over the course of the last year. And I think the site is a disaster and I'm not wild about how it's being run. And it seems like it gets worse every day. And not only is it a cesspool in so many other ways, but I stick with it because I like some of the community element and all of that. And it's a way to, you know, converse with our with our listeners, et cetera. The new version of TweetDeck is so unbelievably awful <laughs> that I don't see anything, and it makes me not even want to go on. Like I'm, I might that might be the thing that finally does it for me. It's terrible. They've taken a good a, a good product, and when I say ruined it, I mean like it's it's almost unusable. It's terrible. Everything that made TweetDeck good is gone. Whatever. I'm not going to sit here and complain <laughs> so about you, it. You think you're missing TweetDeck? Yes. I am, so I wouldn't. I didn't even see these cleats because of um, it. Yeah, he, so he, he's going to wear them with the throwback. So they've got the kind of what All would you right. call that royal blue uh, with the green Nike check, and then. Um, All right, let me go check this out. Let, cool. let me let me do the research. So people here. are noting not a lot of silver in any of the preview things we've seen so far. I think people are. But that's like that the whole key is the yeah. silver. All right, well we're going to stay tuned at eight thirty. We're going to know a lot more. We'll get our sneak peek as well. Stick around. We're going to find out more about this upcoming group of young Mariners from Scott Hunter. That's next. Brock and Salk, Sales Sports on seven ten salesports You're listening to Brock and Salk, powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio, on Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Mentioned a few times, big day yesterday. As the Mariners have gotten a bunch of their draft pick signed i think all but one of them have signed if i read this uh correctly and if i have good information i'll tell you what let's go right to a primary source scott hunter does all of this work for the mariners and was in charge of this draft and he takes a few minutes to join us here right now scott good morning thanks for being with me hey good morning guys thanks for uh for having me so what you got almost everybody signed right do i have that right is it all but one player signed so far yeah we are uh we are almost at the end of this thing and uh, we have one more to go and who uh, johnny farmello actually flew in last night so i spent an extra day here in seattle before i head out to my summer work and uh, we're going to get him done today over at the ballpark so it'll be a lot of fun to finally get this draft class you know going and underway how'd you do I think we did really well. I mean, I think, you know, as an organization, like we, it's a fun time to be a, a scout with the Seattle Mariners. I mean, we see a lot of our players graduating to the big leagues. Um, it was a lot of fun yesterday when I was able to take Colton and uh, Ty Pete through the clubhouse yesterday, and the first three guys we see are Bryce Miller, Logan Gilbert, and George Kirby, and they all walk over, and you start looking back at the things our, our scouts have done um, over the last five, six years, and, and those kids are a representation of, you know what we did with the the first couple years of our our drafts, and now we have another class coming what coming coming through that can hopefully push push another wave of players to to Seattle for us. When you're going into a draft like this last one, where you have essentially three first round picks, I know it's not exactly that, but it is almost in theory three first round picks. How does that change your approach, or does it at all? Um, I think I don't know if it really changes anything because we've been pretty consistent and disciplined over the first. I said this is my seventh seventh draft with the Mariners, so over the first six years we've been pretty disciplined of 
really trying to make good decisions, build out a process that really works for us and stay with it. And when you have three first-round picks, like the, the, everything, the whole, whole talent pool is open to you. And to have three, it, it does create a little more travel, does create a little more, um, I don't want to say chaos, but I would say excitement because you, you're not sure what's going to fall to you. I mean, even though we had three first-round picks, they're still in the back of the first round. So the uh, travel days and the work we had to do was probably, I wouldn't say tripled, but there was a lot of extra work going into this class since it was such a deep uh, player pool. How much do you need to think about signability? I think about these guys all signing and you know a lot of high school kids that you took, especially up high. How, how, how much do you have to know or can you know about signability heading into it? Yeah, no, it, it's a big part of what we do because obviously when you draft players, you want to draft them for the right reasons for their ability on the field, but uh, getting them done and signed and making sure this is part of what they want to do in their lives. I mean, I was a 17-year-old kid when I was drafted, and I passed up on college and, and went out to play pro ball myself. And, and to see these young kids at this age, as mature as they are, you know, there's still a lot of life decisions that they're probably not prepared for. But uh, making that step away from college and going into professional baseball, it's exciting, but it's also something that uh, when we sit down with these kids, we want to make sure that it's something they're willing to give up because, you know, once draft day is over, it's time to go to work, and it's not Saturday football games on a college campus. It's, you know, backfields in Peoria in 117-degree weather getting getting your work in. Yeah, I mean, that's a pretty significant difference, there's no doubt. <laughs> Talking to Scott Hunter, director of amateur scouting for the Mariners, who just had a great draft. Um, if there was one sentence, how would you describe your overall philosophy of what you are looking for for the Seattle Mariners. Wow, um, that's the, I don't know if there's one word, but I, I do think you know. I, I guess wired right. I mean, that is something that I've preached here for the last seven years. Is you know we're always looking for you know good players, and there's a lot of talent throughout the country. But it's okay to pass on a player we don't think so Seattle Mariner type of player. Um, you know, we have some of our core values of dominating the strike zone, but and and also having athletes up the middle. You know, like most organizations do, middle to field players with big tools. But a big part of what we've we've done here is getting the right person for the Mariners. I mean, if you the names I rattled off earlier, the George Kirby's, the Logan Gilberts, uh, I mean, the Bryce Millers, Cal Raleigh, they're different kind of kids that, you know, when we sign them, you know, I always challenge them. I said, you know, one, it's one thing becoming a professional baseball player. It's another getting to the big leagues. But at the end of the day, it's about winning in the big leagues and making a change here in Seattle. And last year was, you know, the start of that, I believe, when we you know, broke the 20-year playoff drought. And we're getting the right kids that are driven by the right things, and that's winning here in Seattle. How much does the ballpark play a role in what you're looking for? Uh, not so much. I mean, not for us. I mean, I think over the years, I mean, they've talked a lot about, you know, do we want more speed and athleticism? Is it a power-driven ballpark, which we know early in the season the ball doesn't fly as much. But I really don't think it does, you know, at the amateur level, because these kids are such, you know, in, in, they're in their infant, uh, infancy stages of their careers. We don't even know. We, we, we think we're really good at what we do, but these kids are going to tell us, you know, how good we are by going through our development program and surprising us. So if we can continue to put good players that are driven by the right things and obviously to have really good ability and tools across the board, we, you know, we think we're going to be able to develop them into things that are going to excite us and even surprise us along the way. When you, uh, I want to talk about this this group maybe a little bit more specifically, and I've heard this from other GMs in the past, probably more in football than in baseball, but they say, oh yeah, there was one guy in this draft we felt like we had to come out of the draft with, maybe not even a first round pick, maybe a later round pick. Was there a guy in this draft that you felt like you just, it would be a win if you came out of the draft with him? 
Yeah, I mean, it's easy to say the three, the first three we have. I mean, Cole, Cole Emerson, Johnny Farmello, and Ty Peter are three different but very similar players because of the, the kind of talent they're driven. They're middle of the field athletes. They're, they're kids that are, you know, have way different personalities, but when they sit in a room together, you can see the energy that they're building off of. And all three of them seem to be friends before we even knew we, we were going to take them because they all played on Team USA. They played did the summer circuits last year. So there is a, a level of comfort that these three kids coming into the program um, know each other and are going to drive each other in, in different ways because um, of their personalities. But I would say, you know, one of the guys that we did make work in the fourth round, Aiden Smith, is already in minicamp. One of our area scouts, Patrick O'Grady, was he's the one scout all year long that kept texting me videos of every every bat this kid would have, and he says, "Hey, don't forget about this one. He didn't do the circuit. He's a little under the radar." And he just kept plugging away, and our scouts kept going in and just reminding me of him. Um, and he's already in minicamp, and I'm getting getting rave reviews from our coaches saying, how did we get this kid in the fourth round? Because he's another young, upside, high school, middle-of-the-field player, probably going to be a center fielder. And our high-performance group down there is already saying, this kid's not even strong yet. He goes, well, imagine what we can do with him once he gets into our uh, strength and conditioning mm-hmm. program. So I would have to say he's probably been the, the most exciting player so far. Cool. Um, it, it, just with the positive reviews we've had at, at, you know, at such an early stage. So I, I know you're in the scouting phase of it more than the development phase, but maybe you can help me with this. So Cole Emerson is a shortstop. Ty Pete is a shortstop. When these two guys get together, I assume they're, they'll be at the same level to start. They're both coming out of high school. Who's the shortstop? Luckily, that's not you know part of my pay grade, but <laughs> my, our goal is to put as many good players in in the system as possible. But you know, there's you know both of these players. I mean, they're both going to come out. They're all high school shortstops. I mean, they both can probably play shortstop. I mean, we had Cole Young last year who's a shortstop, but can also play second base. And I do believe Cole Emerson has seen some time at third. He's played short. He's played second. Um, even even with Ty, Ty's going to go out as a shortstop, but he's such a big kid and he can. He's such a interesting and you know just pure athlete. He looks like an NFL wide receiver i mean and he's got the speed to even play center field if he wanted to it gives our player development a lot of options to move them around the field which is actually a benefit to them as long as they're getting their at bats and developing their offensive skills i think moving them around the infield and and managing their time at what positions they're going to play is is probably the easier part of it who has the single best tool of anybody you guys drafted this year wow it's probably i mean God, that's that's a great question. I would say probably Johnny Farmello speed-wise. Um, Johnny Farmello went to the uh, Major League co- uh, uh, Draft Combine and was, I think, the third fastest in the draft class. So getting a player that has left-handed physicality, power from the left side, can play center field, and is a physical power runner who's going to be able to steal some bases is pretty exciting for us. Um, I mean, just to get that combination of speed and power is kind of rare in the scouting world. The um, One other guy I want to make sure I asked you about was Teddy McGraw. Uh, he was your third-round pick, right-handed pitcher. And, you know, I, I just, just reading about him, it sure sounds like he's the kind of guy that might end up being the steal of this draft. What What is his story? Yeah, that's it. He's really exciting for us. I mean, we, we looked at him, obviously. We've done pretty well with the Brian Woos of the world, who's in our big league rotation right now, who 
we drafted who was our who was injured at the time um, in the 2021 maybe draft it was or 2020, and uh, you know he was coming off of Tommy John, just blew his elbow out, and we just believed in his delivery and the stuff that was coming out of his hand prior to the injury, and and that's something that we've kind of built here. Our pitching program has done exceptional things here. You know the amount of arms we're producing in the big leagues, not only our starters but guys like Ty Adcock and Isaiah Campbell graduating to the big leagues. I mean we are producing arms from all areas of the draft. And we're also producing with our, you know, our performance team and our rehab coordinators. Like we are take, willing to take the shot on guys that have had some injuries, and Teddy is one of those guys. I mean, he unfortunately had a second Tommy John surgery uh, in January, but if he finished out this season before that injury, he probably would have been one of the top 15 players selected in in the draft. So there is a lot of risk on our end in regards to rehabbing him and getting him back to what he was, but there is also a lot of reward because this kid has a special, special arm when healthy. All right, last. Last thing on on your class: Is there anybody with a great story, with a with a great background, with a unique history, anything like that that we should yeah, know about? There are quite a. I mean, there are. I mean, we have a lot of smart kids. I noticed we had a couple kids that were, you know, one, you know, a couple of our senior signs that are, uh, you know, went to Duke and then went to uh, Vanderbilt for their fifth year and turned down MIT out of uh, out of high school and chose one of those. So we do have some future. You know, if they don't after their playing careers are over and they play ten years in the big leagues. We may have a few future GMs, but I think the most interesting baseball story is probably Brock Rodden. Brock Rodden from Wichita State was a senior that we, you know, obviously we we very we valued very high. But he was a, a drafted a drafted player last year that went in I think the tenth or eleventh round to Oakland, and he's probably five foot nine, but he hits the ball extremely hard. He <laughs> plays the middle of the field. He's you know a seventy runner on our our, our running scale. But he chose to go back to Wichita State. He says, "I think I can. I think I'm a better player than than being a tenth round pick." And he goes back to school, and all he was was a player of the year um, in his his uh, division there, and he becomes a fifth round pick. And he he has an edge to him. I got to meet him at minicamp last week, and he is going to be a fun player to watch for our organization. Not only his tools and ability on the field, but the attitude and the chip on his shoulder that he plays with is is the kind of attitude i think a clubhouse needs that's uh that plays winning baseball you ever get to watch the mariners uh yeah this time of year <laughs> <laughs> i'm just sort of curious I'm, I'm I'm you're always Seattle, on the road right the signings but I, I usually get a lot of the highlights or you know traveling around the country i'm usually on the east coast a lot because that's where i make home still but um <laughs> i will put it on my phone and, and watch the games especially when a lot of our draft kids are getting there but so, uh, i get a, as many games as i can in such a specialized job what it is you're doing in an organization but i appreciate it. it's interesting to learn about this stuff i know it'll be a few years before we see all these guys but as we've seen over the last few years, this is if you're going to be a draft develop and trade organization, as Jerry says, you got to get the drafting part right. And it's been pretty cool to see some of these. If you're looking for smart guys in the past, I know you, I know the team has taken some Pomona Pitzer guys. So let's just you know put it on the board next time. More Pomona guys, and I feel like you'll you'll achieve what you need. Okay, can we make that promise moving forward? We can we can try to make that work in the future. Absolutely. All right, thank you. Appreciate it, Scott. Thanks for taking a few minutes, man. Congratulations, and uh, I'm sure we'll do it again next year. Appreciate it. Great. Thank you. All right, there you go. There's Scott Hunter, Mariners Director of Amateur Scouting, and uh, pretty excited, obviously, about this class. When you get three first-round picks, and that's what they've got, and they go athlete, 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 going to be fun to watch these guys try to figure out uh, who they are moving forward. What is happening here? Bro- oh, you're here now? Oh, hello. Hold on. 
Let's get this man. Let's get let's get this man's microphone working. Speaking of athletes, there we go. Can we do a little blue eighty eight? Speaking of athletes, if, you, if that's what you need, Brock is in studio. He's ready to go. I think Quandre must have uh, enticed him enough to come in here and get ready. Yep. It's time for a little blue eighty eight. This is Brock and Sox Blue eighty eight. Blue eighty eight. We take you to the field as Brock Ewer breaks down three football questions as only he can. Now here's your hosts, Brock Ewer and Mike Saul. You must have loved hearing uh, about another Brock, a feisty Brock in the Mariner organization. What could be better? Yeah, you can always win with Brock. That's a good thing. It's a really good thing. It's a, it's a, a I, long-held adage. I didn't tell you my Brock story, did I? On the airplane? I didn't tell you that. Well, I'll tell you if we have time. We'll see how long we'll I talk see, here. Yeah, Blue we'll see how this goes. Preseason yeah. uh, Pac-12 media selections came out for the all-conference teams. What stood out? Uh, USC, Utah, and Washington stood out. They kind of ha- had the most. Actually, Utah had six first-team selections right there with USC, Utah, or UW not far behind. I think what stood out to me was... Well, a couple things. The strength offensively of this conference, and we've talked about that, the quarterbacks in particular, this is the best conference in America, and there's not even a debate when it comes to quarterback play. Bo Nix and Michael Penix and Caleb Williams will all be drafted, who knows, somewhere in the first couple rounds. Uh, Shadur Sanders, uh, many uh, DJ Uyunglele, Cam Ward over there at Wazoo, Jaden Delora down in Arizona. I mean, there's just... It goes seven or eight deep in that position. Penix was actually the second team preseason behind Caleb Williams, obviously. But offensive talent galore. Defense? Yikes. The whole conference? Yeah. Like I looked at the defensive list, and Braylon Trice, preseason All-American D-end at UW. But I looked at the list and thought, how many on this first team would, would even make first or second team All-Conference in the SEC? I think Braylon would going in, but there's not much after that. Like, it is lean defensively. So, what I'm telling you, this fall, take the over. Take the over. Would would the Big 12 look similar? Uh, Yes. I mean, like, if you were to do that same exercise in the Big 12, do you think you'd come up with the same answer? Probably. Yeah, probably. I think there might be a few more defenders, certainly more in the Big Ten. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Big Ten. Yeah, is I think gonna... the Big Ten, the ACC is going to have some, but does the Big 12? Big 12 would be somewhat similar in that vein. Yeah. Now, the nice thing is you've got some NFL dudes up front on your offensive lines, too. Mm. So the, the, this conference, not just a quarterback. You've got NFL offensive linemen. You've got NFL wide receivers, Jalen McMillan, Roma Dunze, both of them preseason first-team all-conference members. So going to be a lot of points scored on the West Coast. Well, I mean, nobody's going to see them get scored, but at least they will be scored. No, they got to deal this year. Oh, this year's still good. they okay, still got to deal this year. It's just next year, year that's yes. the problem. All right, question number two. Well, Brock, they're going through the uh, top 10 quarterbacks, right? All these top 10 positional rankings. The quarterback ones came out for ESPN. Gino, mm. not in the top 10. Mm. And I don't know that that's hugely surprising. But Gino, not an honorable mention, mm. didn't make the top 18. Is mm. Gino Smith not a top 18 quarterback in the NFL? I think Gino tweeted about this, by the way. I think he tweeted some images and, and pictures. He didn't say anything, but he tweeted, you know, some uh, ooh, chip on the old shoulder. Mm. Mahomes, Burrow, Allen, Rogers, Herbert, Hertz, Jackson, Lawrence, Prescott, Stafford. Okay. Stafford? Trevor Lawrence? Stafford? 
At least Trevor Lawrence made the playoffs last year. Yeah. Okay. I mean, Stafford won a Super Bowl two years but, ago. But we didn't know if he got the world. Yeah. Okay. Y- you're right. Like any of those? All right. You're not going to fight that. Deshaun Watson? What? Jared Goff? Oh, come on. These are the honorable mention. So those are the top 10. Right. Deshaun Watson, Kirk Cousins, Jared Goff, Derek Carr, Tua, Tua Tonga Vailoa. What? Tua. But then we get to additional votes. So now we're at 15. Okay. And I still haven't seen a Geno. Come on. Come on now. Now we're at the three additional votes. I mean, certainly Geno's going to get additional votes, right? You would you would hope. Kyler Murray? Stop. Daniel Jones? Justin Fields. I'm looking for Geno. I got my Ebenezer's Plus on. I can't I can't find him. You got a magnifying glass. I can't find here, let me put yours on and mine. Let me see. Give me yours. I'm going to put mine on. You put on two, two yeah. sets of glasses. Let me put, hold on. Let me put yours yeah, on, on on top of mine. Okay. Well, well I'll just hold them there. Um, let me do that again. So I got Mahomes, Burrow, Allen, Rogers, Herbert, Hurts, Jackson, Lawrence, Prescott, Stabber. Honorable mention. Deshaun, Kirk, Jared, Derek, Tua. Yeah. Additional votes. Additional votes. Kyler. Daniel Jones. <laughs> Justin Fields. That's not good. What are we doing? How about the disrespect for Gino? And these are executives and scouts around the league. I mean, numbers-wise, it's not even close. Numbers-wise, he was top 10, period. Not debatable when it came to efficiency and yards and touchdowns and explosive plays and accuracy down the field and all those things. I mean, not debatable he was top 10. He's not even top 18. Kyler Murray and Justin Fields, are you out of your skull? So I think that is really good news for Gino, for the Seahawks. I think that fuel and that chip just continue to grow. It is, unless it's true. Next question. Question number three. Don't want to think about that. Well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, you're right, unless you're wrong. Yep. And they're right. And then you got a problem. But uh, Brock, KJ's podcast, the KJ All Day podcast, played some of the sound earlier. So Golden Tate goes on and basically says, yeah, there's some of those rumors we've heard. Right. There's a longstanding rumor out there that Golden had, you know, cheated or that Russell's wife had cheated on him with Golden Tate. And Mm -hmm. that's why they were no longer friends and why Golden ended up leaving. And then we'd also heard that that wasn't true, but that Golden was upset that Russell never came out and said anything like, hey, that's not true. Yes. And he went on KJ's podcast and said, yeah, that's really upset him over the years that he wasn't defended. And of course, it's not true, but that he should have been defended by his quarterback. And uh, it led to KJ saying this afterwards. I don't want to I don't want to go viral with this. I really don't. But a few dudes that came on here off record, on record. And has said what they've said or how they felt about number three. When you play this game, when you go through this journey, it's all about the brothers. It's all about the brotherhood. And when it's all said and done, he he got a lot of making up to do. He got a lot of phone calls to make. A lot of, hey, bro, I, I should have done better with that. And that's the mm-hmm. God honest truth. Mm-hmm. I can hold that in. I, I can hold that inside, but he got a lot of making up to do. Do you think he will make those phone calls one day? I think one day, yeah. I think one day. I think that there were some circumstances that were particularly difficult for Russell. Uh, n- number one, you had a counter culture brand of a running back, and Bucky Brooks was on talking about Marshawn Lynch and just the influence he had over the entire organization, and he was so counter culture. <laughs> 
in so many ways, right? From practice habits, from off the field habits, from all sorts of stuff, on the field habits. Like he's a different bird. And Russell was not. And Russell was is basic and straight and narrow and, you know, in there early and stay late and do all of those things. And there was conflict there. And, and I think some tension on top of just the very natural, we are the brand. We are the LOB. Mm. You're the core. We don't even need you. Right? So he had a, a bunch of waters he was already swimming upstream against. And it's not an excuse or explanation. But th- those those circumstances were there in the building. And then yeah. and then it, it was it was complicated because I think you're right. It was about three. It was about his brand. It was about, I'm going to be the president of the United States. I'm going to be the commissioner of this league. I'm going to be a billionaire. I'm going to be a mogul. Like It was those things that were the driving force and the attachments. How many times did we talk about connecting with your teammates, man? Just be one of the guys. Couldn't not easy. Couldn't do it. Not easy. And Aaron and Tom and Peyton would tell you, not easy as a franchise guy. But you got to do it. And there will be have to be some phone calls down the road. Yeah, that, that's uh, today's Blue 88. And I said it earlier, like, it, it's okay to be wired in such a way where, you know, you're you're trying to, to work for your legacy and that that's what motivates you. Larry Bird, Michael Jordan are two guys off the top of my head that I think were absolutely wired that way more than anything else. That's what motivated them. But, A, I think it's harder in football than it is in basketball or baseball. Yep. And B, you have to still either you better be as good as Michael Jordan or 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 Larry Bird, or you better find some other way to relate to your teammates because you just can't get away with it otherwise. We, we've heard this said that quarterbacks are it's a little different, right? They're almost part management. Well, you know what you really gotta be? You gotta be part manager. Mm. And you gotta manage a lot of relationships. Tom did it incredibly well. Peyton did it pretty darn well. Aaron Rodgers Mm. Up and down. Up, 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 up and down. <laughs> up, and up, down. And up in the air. Right? It, it He's fe- got other relationships to maintain. It feels like Herbert and Burrow and Trevor, some of these younger guys, are doing it pretty well. Managing those relationships was not a great strength of Russell. Brock, coming up next, I am going to get to play one of your favorite pieces of sound we oh, have on this station. Great. It's only five seconds long, but it leads to an important conversation Faster. next. Brock and Salt. Sales Sports on 710.